0: This following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Ephesians chapter 6, and there is a a spiritual battle cry that really rings out in the remainder of this 6th chapter, beginning at verse 10, where we will pick it up this morning. It would be right for us to think of it, this battle cry. It would be right for us to think of it, consider it as a call to arms. And if you've looked at your Bible, and you probably in chapter 6, when you get to verse 10, there's a subheading up there that says something like the armor of God. Do some of your Bibles have that? This really is a call to arms. It's a bugle blast, if you will, of that. That is meant to awaken us, awa- awaken us from our slumber and our complacency and our apathy, our passivity, alerting us to the realities of the spiritual conflict that we really are in. Right, folks? Yes. I, am I speaking to the right crowd? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Paul urges us to be strong In the Lord, because only through Christ's strength will we be able to stand and fight and be victorious only through him. Not going to happen on our own. I think hopefully most of you would agree that the enemy, the devil, would like nothing better than for us to picture him as this little guy dressed in a little red outfit, holding a pitched fork, perched on our shoulder, right? I think he would love it if that was the extent of what our thoughts were with regards to our enemy, whispering naughty little ideas into our ears. And as long as we think that, as long as we consider him this pesky little pest that we can brush off our shoulders like we would a mosquito, we're not going to realize just how evil and how wicked and how depraved he really actually is. Unfortunately, I think there are far too many today who would tend to think that whatever conflict may have existed in the past is somehow over. There are far too many today, I think, in tending churches throughout the world, throughout this nation anyway, who, who don't even believe that he's real or that he exists. Hard to believe, isn't it? Especially when you look around or, and, and just see what's going on in the world. So, But because they're in that place, they therefore have no idea, do not bother to put on the armor of God and know nothing about being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, since chapter four, since the beginning of chapter four in here in Ephesians, Paul, as you know, Paul has been discussing the believer's walk. We've gone through this. He's been just talking about that. But now he, he suddenly is going introducing a change in course, a change of course in what he's going to be talking about. He says there is another way, actually, to look at, another way to consider the believer's life in Christ. And this is where he's going to be letting us know that the believer's life is a life lived on a battlefield. Anybody aware of that? Yeah. The fact of the matter is, followers of Christ find themselves in a constant struggle. Constant struggle, engaged in an unceasing fight, an unending war. That's because we actually are, as we are, followers of Christ in His army, soldiers in conflict. God's calling is not to a life of enjoyment. And ease, tiptoeing through the tulips, sipping iced tea. (laughs) Much more than that. As much as we would like that, it's a call to a life of conflict. There is an enemy who's got you in his crosshairs. Who's out to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10.10. From the cradle to the grave. There is a constant struggle against the loss of the flesh, against the temptations that are offered to us by the world and by Satan himself. There is more to our lives than what meets the eye, more than the materialism with which we so often consume our lives with. Paul says that there is an unseen world that exists that is actually more real than the one that we consider to be real, this physical world. And so in chapter 1, he talked about this, actually. He actually. Where he first mentions about rulers and authorities and powers and dominions. And his point was, then as it is now, is that Jesus is superior. Hallelujah, right? Amen. He is superior to every spiritual being that exists. He is the name above all names which we just sang about. Don't you? I love that song. What a beautiful name it is. And what a powerful name it is. He is the king above all kings. He is the Lord above all lords. Jesus Christ is above all. He is all in all. That is who our Lord and Savior is. So let's pick it up at verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, some of you are thinking, Finally, <laughs> it's kind of like when the preacher says, "ending in closing, which is never really happens, right? He goes on for another half hour. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What a good word. What a good word. We, we have here my, my little point number one would be this. These are our orders from headquarters. One commentator wrote, "We live in the generation are you ready for this? this is a, here's a new word for you. We live in the generation of the sisification." <laughs> yeah, say that real fast five times. Don't. It might not come out right. <laughs> the generation of the sissification of the saints. A lot of Christians are moaning and groaning about their situation because their lives are centered on themselves rather than on Christ, how they're doing, how they are feeling, and how others are are treating them. But we need to come back to and realize that God is the one who has power over every ruler, over everything every authority, every dominion. And here's another thing we got to come back to. You and I don't. (laughs) On our own, we do not have any power against these powers and these rulers and these authorities. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. And without his help, we are toast. I might even add burnt toast. (laughs) So Paul exhorts... Be strong. But isn't there, but I think inferred not in yourselves, but in the Lord. Yes. You see, if you enter the battlefield, you go into the conflict thinking that you've got this, that you can handle this, that you're good enough, strong enough, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. You dare not, nobody dares not, no follower of Christ dares not go into the battle alone. There's no telling what will happen if you do. But if you enter in his power, I guarantee you the outcome is going to be a whole lot better because of Christ's strength. That's because, you know what John tells us, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you dear children are from God. And you have overcome them. The them there referring to the enemy in all false spirits. It's referring to the rulers and authorities and the dominions that are out there messing with our lives. You have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. I am thankful. How about you? You see, here's something that you want to make sure you you, you don't forget. In the New Testament, you know, when you're going through the New Testament, reading the New Testament letters, going through the book of Acts, and we're seeing the acts of the apostles and the disciples and the people of God, we do not find believers trembling at the power of the enemy. That's not what we find there, but what we do find are demons who are trembling at the power of God at the sound of his name. Never forget that. That beautiful name. That powerful name. Because Jesus has been given all power in heaven and on earth. We do not have to lose spiritual battles, folks. And just in case there's someone who might be wondering, well, just what is a spiritual battle? Well, let me give you some, for examples, not an exhaustive list by any means. Every time you are presented with the opportunity to entertain a lustful thought, you've entered the spiritual battlefield. Every time. Every time you have the chance to do something vindictive, you're on the battlefield Every time you have the chance to say something harsh or hurtful, you're in the midst of battle. Every time you toy with the notion that you're just a little bit better than someone else, you're under enemy fire. Every time you're tempted to ignore that nudge to read and pray, minister and serve somebody, you're engaged in spiritual combat. Life is a battlefield. And there are forces At work in this world that do not want you doing that which you've been called to do. To reflect Jesus Christ, to put Him on display, to make a difference for His glory in His kingdom. If we fail to see that there are powers that cause people to be locked up in bondage, we're going to be fighting the wrong battles. Let me just throw this out there. You know, if if you're you're engaged, if you find yourself recently engaged, fighting with your boss at work, you're in the wrong fight. Fighting with your spouse, it's the wrong battle. Arguing with your teenage kids, wrong battle. At odds, fighting with the next door neighbor, wrong battle, folks you got to stop fighting that fight and take the fight we're supposed to be. Your fight isn't against them. It's against these principalities, against these forces of darkness that are out to take you down. Destroy your life. There is a force at work in this world that does not want you living for Jesus. There is a force at work in this world that does not want you to minister to or serve others in his name. There is a force at work in this world that does not want you to reflect God's love and mercy. There is a force at work in this world that does not want you experiencing the transformative power of God's spirit. Let's read on. Verse 11 and 12 put on. Suit up with the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Six times, I believe, for emphasis, Paul uses the word against. If ever there were terms that referred to battle and conflict, it would be the word against. Six times he uses it. Now, this term here that we find in verse 11, stand against, is a great phrase that Paul chooses to use. Holy Spirit leading and guiding him. It was a military term during Paul's time, meaning to, hear me now, resist the enemy, hold the position. Stand your ground, hold your position. And I really like this one. Please listen. Don't be distracted right now come back to the room give me your attention are you with me yes it also means to offer no surrender oh i love that yeah we're to be people who surrender but not to the enemy but to our god so this stand against Paul is saying it's powerful hold your ground resist the enemy Offer no surrender at any cost. Not going there, not doing that. By mentioning names and groups, Paul is letting us know that there is indeed a force that is against us. And that it is strategic strategic, and that it is organized. He's showing us the full extent of Satan's warfare. Not anything to be taken lightly, church which means the follower of Christ dares not go out their front door on any given day without having suited up in the armor of God. These are real and powerful beings, not mere fantasies. Believers must never, ever underestimate what they can do and how they can mess with you. Now, let me make this perfectly clear. Our enemy may have some clout, but hallelujah, our Savior is greater and stronger. Amen. <laughs> I love what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses three through five. "For though we live in the world, we do not wage war like the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world, they're not physical. On the contrary, They have divine power. (laughs) Say that with me, would you? They have divine power. Not your power, not your strength, divine power. To do what? To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought To make it obedient to Christ. He has no power in your life, folks. So please do not give him any. All you have to do is to put on, suit up with the full, not some of, not half of, the full armor of God, and when you do, you will win the battle. James tells us in chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil, and he will, not maybe, he will flee from you. That's a good promise. Amen. Amen. It's been said that when the enemy comes knocking on your door, you don't have to bother going and answering, just send Jesus to answer it. I like that, don't you? Now, let me say this at this point. Some of you are probably thinking that because we're at chapter six, you've read ahead and you look, well, this is the end of the letter to Ephesians, and you're probably thinking this is the the end of the Ephesians series. I am happy to say it's not, (laughs) we're not done. I got to looking at this and studying and preparing a message, and I go, man, there's, there's too much good stuff here to sweep over. We're, we're not done. We'll be back with it next week and breaking down and talking about the actual equipment. But today, we got more to look at, okay? I want you to understand that. We'll discuss the details of this armor our next time together. But for now, I want to point out that Paul is not referring to, as most of you are aware, he's not referring to a literal armor that believers place over his or her bodies. He's likening this, God's spiritual power and protection for his people, which would have been a common sight in Paul's day. As a matter of fact, as most of you will remember, he is at this time when he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. So he's seeing this armor all the time. And he begins to recognize some similarities, some some stuff that really carries over into the Christian's walk into how we can really be with the the uh, what God has provided the provision of the Lord in terms of this armor. So he's doing this and I want us to understand that there are some facets that we can look at here that really we need to understand and 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 embrace and apply and live out before we even get to talking about the details of the equipment, okay? So we're going to take a closer look. First thing that we're going to look at, we're going to dial in on, is the reasons we need the armor. Okay? So Paul paints a dark picture of the world. We get that, don't we? It's pretty dark out there. Highlighting three reasons that we desperately need God's supernatural protection. First, Satan and his demons, he tells us, are not flesh and blood. They are spiritual beings. And as such, they can't be dealt with from a physical standpoint. Rather, they have to be discerned spiritually. This puts us, I think, at a distinct advantage right from the start. Why do I say that? Because ever since the fall, we have been creatures who are pulled toward this physical world, focused on what we can see and feel and hear, taste and smell. To do battle against the evil forces, we need to set aside our worldly wisdom and our practical approach to life instead of relying on these, we must open our eyes and our ears of faith. Trusting that God, that what he says about spiritual, the spiritual realm is, as I said earlier, even more real than this which we consider to be real, this physical world. Secondly, we struggle against an organized hierarchy of demonic rulers, powers and forces of wickedness. Think of this as being kind of like a, like a spiritual mafia, if you will. I... Nevertheless, while it's important to understand the demonic realm, Paul's point is to assure us that God can win his war against Satan regardless of how well organized he and his demons might be. In fact, if I understand my Bible correctly, we can know and trust that God will win because He already has won the victory. Amen? Amen. Thirdly, this force of evil is characterized by unparalleled wickedness. Kent Hughes puts it quite well in just two sentences. From his commentary on Ephesians, he says, Satan has no conscience, no compassion, no remorse, no morals. He feeds on pain and anguish and filth. The total depravity and wickedness that motivates the devil, I think, is unparalleled. Off the charts. Another commentator writes... It seems like every bad guy in literature, television, or film has some kind of potential for redemption. A limit to his or her wickedness, or at least a reasonable explanation for his or her evil behavior that can almost prompt pity. Yet when it comes to Satan... There is no possibility of redemption. No limit to his evil except what has been placed on him by God's sovereign restraint. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. And no rational explanation at all or motivation for why he does what he does. And why he seeks to do what he seeks to do. The depravity that he brings. We see proof of this depravity in our world every day, don't we? Violent crime, devastating wars, religious deception, moral deterioration, political corruption, the list could go on and on and on. We don't have to turn on our television or surf the internet to understand this and to know that this is true, that Satan's wickedness is out there. We merely need to look within and around us. Amen? As we observe the sin and the selfishness and the corruption in our own marriages and families, children and neighborhoods, and even, sad to say, in churches. Taking advantage of humanity's fallen nature... The force of evil can lead the careless, the unaware, and unprotected one away from the right path and in and on to a path of destruction. Preacher, theologian John Stott writes, wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are easy prey for the devil and Christians who shake like wreaths and rushes cannot resist the wind when the principalities and the powers begin to blow. Paul wants to see Christians so strong and stable that they remain firm and even against the devil's deceptive schemes. And even in the day of evil, as Paul writes which is in a time of unrelenting heavy pressure for such stability, both of character and in crisis. The armor of God is essential. I say amen to that. How about you? Now let's consider the results of having God's supernatural protection. The effects of wearing the armor. Verse 13, Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. For the second time, the first being in verse 11, Paul instructs us to put on the full armor of God. The effects of wearing this armor are really and actually described in both verses. Verse 11, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. The idea, as we will see later in verse 14, is to stand firm. We have a fearsome enemy, but because we're protected by God's power, and let me throw in here when utilized, <laughs> we have no reason to tremble or quake at his temptations or his threats, none whatsoever. In Christ, our victory is certain, the outcome of the battle has been determined. It is true that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to whom he may devour. But when we resist him with God's strength, he flees our presence. And remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about coming into a dark room, a restaurant, flipping on the light, and watching the cockroaches rush away? It's like that. I'm back on that. (laughs) Because when we stand firm, having fully suited up, bringing the light of Christ into every circumstance, every situation in this dark world, it's like flipping the light switch on and the enemy will scurry like a cockroach rushing away from that very light. Church, be the light in this dark world. So one obvious effect of wearing God's armor is the ability to stand firm in spiritual victory. Another effect is the ability to discern the devil's schemes. He's a schemer, folks. Have you ever met a schemer? I mean, in real life? Yeah? Well, he, like, is the ultimate schemer. And we got to be on to that. The Greek word translated schemes being used here in verse 11 is a word that was actually used by Paul back in chapter 4, verse 14, with reference to the craftiness in deceitful scheming, describing our enemy. The craftiness. The word is plural here. Did you notice that? It's plural, indicating that the devil has numerous, no doubt, Countless devices in his arsenal for undermining our spiritual progress. And though the devil is depraved and though he is doomed, he is still presently no dummy. He can identify, he can target, he can exploit your weaknesses. And the chinks in your, listen to me, self-made defenses. Those which you do without the armor of God, thinking you've got it. And he can do this well before you're even aware of that yourself. Having God's armor can protect us from these devastating assaults. A third effect of the armor of God is that we will be ready for anything that comes. Paul says we will be able to resist or as some translations say, to stand our ground in the evil day. This is interesting. He's kind of, he's like adding a little more emphasis here on this evil day idea. The phrase, the evil day, probably, I think, refers to both general spiritual oppression and the enemy messing with us on a regular day basis, but also, I think, indicating an extra heavy attacks by wicked spirits against us at specific times. Harold Honor writes the believers should be aware that they must be prepared not only for everyday evils, but for those times of heightened and unexpected spiritual battles. And so, for example, when the devil failed to tempt Jesus to sin in the wilderness, we all are aware of that, I am sure. But when the devil failed to get Jesus to fall for his schemes... We read in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, something that perhaps you have not ever really picked up on, maybe just glossed right on over. But it says there in that 13th verse that the enemy would come back at opportune times to tempt Jesus. And so here's the deal, folks. If the enemy if Satan is going to come back at opportune times to tempt Jesus to sin, where, does that, where do you think that leaves you and me? But when we stand firm in the provision of strength and the promise of protection that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, the enemy will slither away In defeat. And so. Here's my and finally. (laughs) And so. What we have here. Is yet another reason why. It is extremely imperative. That we get ourselves. Out of the way. Amen. If we are not paying much attention to our God. Chances are you are not going to know when the enemy is knocking on your door either. You will certainly not recognize him. What this will do is take you where you definitely do not want to be. As you disobey God, I want you to really listen to this and don't let it just go right on over as you in those times of disobeying God, whether it's just been you just ignoring him, not doing what he's been leading you and asking you to do, not growing, not maturing, not ministering, not serving, whatever it is you want to put in there. We're just going to categorize it with one word, disobeying God. You know what that actually turns out to be? It, it turns out to be as you are disobeying God, you are obeying the enemy. You're actually obeying the enemy, falling into his hand, enveloped in his schemes. I know some of you are sitting here right now and you don't like that. And you're, and you're arguing with me right now in your heads. But you're arguing it isn't with me. <laughs> It's with God and his word. It's a win for him that works against you, defeating you. Please, don't let that happen. Allow the Lord through the circumstances of your life to display his great power and his great love so that your life may be a testament to his ability to cause you and to cause me to rise from the ashes, to turn trials into triumphs and darkness into bright, shining days for his glory. This is our call to arms, church. May we rise to the occasion. Father, we come before you this morning. And we've hopefully opened opened our ears and we've opened our hearts to hear your word, to hear what you have wanted to speak to every single one of us. And I pray that we've heard. But may we also be reminded that just listening to it doesn't complete the action. We also have to embrace it and live it and obey it. That's when we know that we've heard the word of the Lord. May that be the case for every single one of us in this room. There is an enemy. He is fully and completely depraved and he is out to steal, kill and destroy. He is out to destroy churches, to destroy families, to destroy communities. He is all about destruction. But you have equipped us, and we've been given good reasons why we need to make sure that on a regular basis, we suit up with the full armor of God. May we take it seriously. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will